At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, we believe theological education should be confessional. Because of our desire to identify with what Christ has done in His church throughout the centuries, we fully adhere to the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. This standard keeps us accountable and preserves us from novelty. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here with my co-host, Jimmy Johnson. Good to to visit with you, Jimmy. Good to be on the podcast again with you, and good to chat about the subject we're going to be talking about in this episode. Yes, and that subject that we're going to be talking about is uh, question two of the Orthodox Catechism. You can go back and listen to question one and our introduction episode to the Orthodox Catechism in uh, our podcast archive. But we'll just uh, begin by reading the question and giving the answer to the second question of the Orthodox Catechism, and it goes like this. How many things are necessary for you to know that, enjoying this comfort, you may live and die happily? Answer three. The first, what is the greatness of my sin and misery? The second, how I am delivered from all sin and misery? The third, what thanks I owe to God for this delivery. So we're just going to work our way through these three answers. So listeners, the first thing you must know is the greatness of your sin and misery. So Jimmy, what is the greatness of your sin and misery? Well, just using the the three texts that are cited in in the catechism is number one, you need to repent. So Luke 24, 47 says, I'll go ahead and start in verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So, Jesus has opened up the scriptures um, to to his disciples, and he he says that in light of what he has accomplished, that repentance from sin or repentance for the forgiveness of sins is something that must be proclaimed everywhere, implying that everyone needs to repent for the forgiveness of sins. Secondly, you, what is the greatness of your sin and misery? Well, you have fallen short of the glory of God, and that comes from Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Pretty cut and dry there. We, we all, in Adam, and like Adam, have fallen short of the glory for which we were created to, to reflect God, to honor him. We have all sinned and fallen short of that. And that is the state in which we all are born 
into. And then to add a text that is very dear to me um, is Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We read in it that you are dead in sin, a follower of Satan, the world, and the flesh, and by nature, a child of wrath. And I'll go ahead and read that. And you were dead in trespass in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So that is what are what the greatness of our sin and misery is. So you've given us the answer to the question, what is the greatness of your sin and misery? Um, secondly, why must you know the greatness of your sin and misery? Well, in and of itself, knowing your state as a sinner who is in also in misery will not in and of itself give you comfort. I mean, to know that you are a sinner, to know that you are in this state of misery um, by itself will lead to despair. <laughs> it won't lead you to comfort, but by knowing that you are a sinner and that you are in this state of misery, one, it moves you to desire deliverance. Only one who knows for example, only one a person who knows they have cancer seek treatment for cancer. In a similar way, only those who know their condition as miserable sinners seek deliverance in Christ. And it's clear in Scripture that it is only those who seek salvation that find it. So Jesus speaking in Matthew 6, 7, or 7, 6, rather, or Actually, five, six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's only those that hunger that get it. It's only those who seek for it. Or, for example, Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavenly late or heavy laden, and I will give you rest." And then finally, in Isaiah fifty seven fifteen, it says, "For thus says the one." who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. To be contrite, you have to be aware of your own condition. It is only those who seek the Lord who find him. And, and thus, we must know our sin and our misery to be prompted to seek out the deliverance that the Lord has provided us. Also, it, it moves you to be thankful for your deliverance. If you aren't aware of your condition prior to Christ or before being delivered, you won't be someone who lives in gratitude to the Lord Jesus. In fact, you will live very much the same way you did prior to coming in faith in Jesus if you did not realize how radical and how great and how magnificent your salvation is. And then thirdly, it prepares us to hear the gospel profitably. And that's related to the first point that I stated. But again, if, if you aren't aware that you are a sinner, then the gospel won't be good news.
if you aren't aware that you are in a, a dire situation, that you are under the just condemnation of God, that you are destined for eternal wrath, then the gospel of the forgiveness of sins in, the Christ, in Christ Jesus, it really will be of no profit to you. So that that is why we must know that that we are in, by nature, a state of sin and misery. So our first big heading that comes from the answer to question two of the catechism is you must know the greatness of your sin and misery. Secondly, you must know that in Christ you are delivered from all sin and misery. So Jimmy, what is the nature of your deliverance? So you were delivered from bondage to sin to adoption as God's child. Romans 8.15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So prior to Christ, you, you were a slave, you were in bondage to sin, but in Christ, you are no longer in bondage to sin. You, you no longer fall back into a spirit of slavery or fear, but you are a child of God. What a great deliverance that is. What a radical change in position. Um, you were washed of your sin, sanctified and justified in Christ by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.11. As such were some of you. So he listed a bunch of horrible things just before this. Paul did. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. So we have been cleansed of our sins. We have been set apart. We, have been, we are being shaped and molded into the image of Christ. We are being sanctified. We have been justified in Christ, meaning that by virtue of Jesus's active obedience, his living in perfect holiness, and Jesus's passive obedience, his voluntarily taking upon the judgment due us for our sins, it is through that that God declares us righteous. So that is a part of the nature of our deliverance. We, we were dead in sin. We've been sanctified. We've been made holy. We've been made alive. We were guilty and condemned in Adam. We have been now declared righteous in Christ. And then finally, you were brought from foolishness and hopelessness to wisdom and hope. Titus 3, 3 through 8 says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So we were in a state 
of foolishness. We were in a state of both self-hatred and the hatred of others, and God in Christ has delivered us. He has regenerated us. He has made us who are dead alive. He has cleansed us of sin. Us who were unclean in sin, he has cleansed us, renewed us, washed us. Those of us, again, who were guilty, he has declared just in Christ through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit who has drawn us unto the Lord Jesus. But this is the nature of our deliverance. And it is indeed a very, very great deliverance that we should reflect upon and ponder often. So why then must you know of your deliverance? You must know that in Christ you are delivered from all sin and misery. Why must you know of your deliverance? Well, it enables you not to be in despair as if there were no deliverance provided for you. If you merely knew your sin and misery and you did not know the way out, um, the, the deliverance that has been provided and accomplished by God, then you would be in a state of perpetual despair. There would be no way to get out of it, in all honesty. If, if, if God did not provide this deliverance, and if we did not know or understand it, we would be in a constant state of despair. Um, it also moves you to desire this deliverance, the one that God has provided. Um, it is the only way to be delivered, and in order to desire it, you must know what it is. People do not desire things that they don't know. It's quite simple logic. Um, if you did not know that this is the way for salvation and the only way, then you wouldn't desire it. Also, it provides you with comfort. It's good to know it. It, it, it enriches your, your walk before God. It, it gives you comfort in both the good times and the bad times. So it is a good thing for you to know. It keeps us from coming up with our own ways for deliverance. Um, throughout the ages, you have a great many de- or a great deal of many false religions that have been created, and many idols have been erected. Many false views on ways to to salvation have have been manufactured by men, and a lot of this is due to their not coming to know the truth in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, by knowing this deliverance, you won't even begin to be pressured to look elsewhere because there is salvation in no other name. It also beckons us to receive it by faith. So the salvation that we have in Christ, it can only be received by faith. There's no other way to receive it. We, we don't reach it by way of works, but we, we receive it as those with empty hands, um, as, as those who are in deep need and have been given a gracious gift, we receive the deliverance that God has offered us in Christ. And then finally, it leads us to gratitude. We are to be grateful people, and we'll get into that in, in a moment. Um, but by knowing this deliverance, this deliverance that's completely of grace, it leads to a life of grateful and joyous obedience and communion, obedience to and communion with our God. So, listener, we've seen you must first know the greatness of your sin and misery. 
Secondly, we've seen you must know that in Christ you are delivered from all sin and misery. And third, we're going to see you must know what thanks you owe to God. You must know what thanks you owe to God. So, Jimmy, what is the thanks you owe to God? Well, before I I get into that, we perhaps should have mentioned this earlier, but you'll notice as we go through an Orthodox catechism that these three headings are sin and misery, um, the deliverance that is provided for us, and the thanks we owe to God. They serve as the outline of the rest of the catechism. You have guilt, grace, gratitude, and and it's really setting the stage for what goes forward. So our guilt is our sin and misery. Our our the grace is is the deliverance that has been provided for us in Christ. And now the thank the thanksgiving we owe to God, the thankfulness we should show to God, is the gratitude. Um, and and that gratitude, that thanks that we owe to God, it consists of a number of things. It consists of good works. Jesus says this in Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Those of us who are grateful for salvation, we, we show that thanksgiving through good works. Also, it consists of reckoning yourself dead to sin, Romans 6, 11 through 13. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been given or who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Um, Those of us who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who realize the state of misery that we've been delivered from through him, we respond not by continuing in sin, not by considering ourselves to still be in bondage to sin, but instead we are to reckon ourselves, consider ourselves, as Paul says here, dead to sin and instead alive to God, to present our members for righteousness, to be instruments of righteousness and not instruments of sin. Also, it consists of discerning what pleases God. Paul says in Ephesians 5.10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. <laughs> that that is a charge that's put upon all of us. We are to attempt, and and we will succeed if we are studying the scriptures to discern what pleases God. It consists of renouncing ungodliness and embracing godliness. Titus two eleven through twelve says this: for by the great or for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So we've seen the grace of God, and now we respond by renouncing ungodliness. We who were ungodly by nature have been delivered not only judicially, 
um, or, or legally in justification, but we have also been delivered in terms of who reigns over us in Christ. Christ is now our king. Sin no longer has dominion over us. Christ rules, and he rules in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And through the Spirit, we are to renounce ungodliness and live lives that bring honor to our Lord. And finally, it consists of being who God called you to be, which all of these, of course, are related and overlap. But 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are no longer children of wrath. We are a royal priesthood, and we are to behave like it. We are to proclaim the excellencies of our God, not only with our lips, but most certainly with our lips, but also in the deeds that we perform. And then also 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12 says this, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We are no longer to be the old men or women that we once were before Christ. We have been saved, and therefore we should act like it. So we've seen um, the answer to the question, what is the thanks you owe to God? And uh, next, why must you know of this thanks you owe God? Well, we must know of the thanks that or you must know of the thanks that you owe to God for God only grants deliverance to the thankful. It is only those who are thankful that partake of such deliverance. Um, To read a lengthy portion of text, or not too lengthy, verses three through six of chapter one in the book of Ephesians, we, we see this gratitude displayed by Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing blessing in the heavenly, heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And also, we... We must know the thanks that we owe God so that, or you must know this, so that you may return gratitude, the gratitude he desires, and not that of your own invention. Um, This is kind of where the the regulative principle of worship comes into play. Um, We are not to give God just gratitude from our own personal whims or our own conventions. We are to express to him the gratitude that he desires. And we find this in the scriptures. And in terms of corporate worship, we only find um, what we are to do in corporate worship from the scriptures. We are not to invent things. In terms of our our day-to-day lives, we, we are to live in accord with the moral law which can both be deduced by nature as well as 
we find a summary of it in the Ten Commandments. Um, but you cannot do anything that violates what God commands in order to give gratitude to him. I mean, to to give an example, you can't lie to your neighbor and say that that is an expression of gratitude to God. You can't lie to the glory of God, <laughs> but you can tell the truth to the glory of God. You can't honor him by honoring his law. You can't just make up ways. It, your life has to be regulated by what God has revealed, both in nature and, and even more clearly in his word. Also, you must know the thanks that you owe that you may not, or that you may know what duties we perform do not earn deliverance. That we do not do these things, that we do not obey God in order to be delivered, but we we do these things as a declaration and evidence of our gratitude for the deliverance that we have received. We do not earn salvation by our works, but our works evidence and declare that we have experienced the salvation, that we are grateful for it. And then finally, that your faith and comfort may be increased because your life evidences God's deliverance. One reason to seek to live in gratitude to God is for your experiential assurance of salvation, that you might look at your life and say, my life evidences God's work of grace because I am grateful for what God has done in my life. No, you won't be perfect this side of glory, but if you do live a life in which you commit to mortify the flesh, in which you you seek to live by the Holy Spirit, where you are repentant of the sin in your life and you cast yourself daily upon the mercies that are yours and the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will be able to take comfort knowing that you are one of God's. You have experienced this deliverance. So that is the second question expounded upon and answer expounded upon. But to end us, before Austin concludes, let's go ahead and read the question and answer again. How many things are necessary for you to know that... Enjoying this comfort, you may live and die happily. Three, the first, what is the greatness of my sin and misery? The second, how I am delivered from all sin and misery. The third, what thanks I owe to God for this delivery. Well, we have been considering question two of the Orthodox Catechism. Um, we have divided our episode into three sections, which Jimmy has pointed out to us will actually be divisions for the rest of the catechism. The first division being guilt, as we have considered, you must know the greatness of your sin and misery. The second division being grace, you must know that in Christ you are delivered from all sin and misery. And the last division being gratitude, you must know what thanks you owe to God. Uh, we hope and pray that this uh, this conversation has been helpful as you look at question two of the Orthodox Catechism. And to all of our listeners, we just want to wish you grace and peace. 
For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.